You're listening to the Fire Officer Trust with John Alston. Visit us at www.fireofficertrust.org. Speaker to uh, go on. I think you're kind of handsome too. <laughs> and uh, the chief was also the uh, assistant chief in the Jersey City Fire Department. So this chief has seen fire like uh, like nobody has seen fire. So uh, chief, uh, welcome to the fire instructors as a member. And welcome to the fire instructors as our guest speaker tonight. And uh, thank you for uh, donating your time to us. Thank you for the, uh, the invitation, Chief Bonomi. Uh, we had a quick talk after the, uh, I guess it was the uh, memorial uh, dinner. And uh, the next thing I got a call, it says, hey, would you like to come and talk to our instructors? And obviously, you're all instructors. You know that's the toughest crowd you can ever talk to. It's not the senior firefighter in the kitchen. It's other instructors. So, what I'd like to do is just look around the room real hot second, and some of you know each other so well, <coughs> most of you do. If you look around the room, think about the younger members of your department that aren't here. There are a lot of them that do not want to be instructors for whatever reason. And it's not a phenomenon. It's actually a cultural thing. I don't know where it started. I don't know whether it's the technology. I don't know whether it's uh, social media. Uh, I don't know what caused it. And I, I'm raising two sons. Why well, aren't you raising them? I have a 27-year-old son and a 30-year-old. Wanted, yeah, amen. <laughs> but he didn't want to be a firefighter until after his last year in college. And he was looking around at jobs. I never pushed it on them. I uh, used to take him to the firehouse like we all did. We all did that. But at the end of the year, he was studying, uh, he went to Liberty University um, in Lynchburg, Virginia. The other one went to Morehouse in Atlanta. So when you tell your kids you can be anything that you want to, don't be surprised when they grow up and go completely in the opposite direction. <laughs> it happens. It happens. And someday you look at this kid and you go, is that my kid? The thing that I found out, though, is that they watch us the same way younger firefighters watch us. I see a lot of gray hair and I see a lot of no hair. Don't worry, I got the starter kit. I'll be joining you real soon. Every time I go to the barber and I say I take a little more off the top, he says, Chief, we've hit ground zero. <laughs> Trust me, the ones I cut now will never come back. And so that's why I have this strange uh, quaff, if you will. But what I started to find out is that when you talk to younger firefighters, Many of them didn't choose this as a profession. They didn't. Maybe they didn't have a parent, a brother, a neighbor, a friend that was a firefighter. Many of them are now showing up and it's just a career. It's just a job. The passion is gone. I wanted to be a firefighter since I was four years old. I grew up in Jersey City, 1964. Obviously, you know, there was a lot of burning going on in the inner city, 1964. 
I lived around the corner from a firehouse, and I would see them pass my house every day. Every day, every day, and I wanted to get on the truck. I cried and I screamed, and my mom would walk me around the station, and I'd meet the guys, but I wanted to get on that truck. That's what I wanted to do. And one day they stopped in front of my house and said, can you ride around the corner? And that was it. I was bitten by the bug for which there is no cure. And if there is a cure, kill me. Because you know that this is the greatest profession, paid or volunteer, on the face of the planet. Nowhere else are you going to meet the kind of people that you meet. Nowhere else are you going to be able to serve the kind of people that we serve. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, they will always call the fire department first. We will always show up, and if we can't fix it, we're going to stay with them until we find somebody who can. No other service on the planet does that, other than our military. No other service does that. Now to raise to the level of an instructor, where you want to teach your own, many of us came out of that bag where you weren't really certified instructors. That started in the 80s. We didn't do any of that. You know what ended up happening? Who were the instructors? The senior members on the job. The senior officers on the job. Maybe one or two of them had military experience. Maybe they had industry experience. Maybe they took a few courses. But for the most part, you got on the job, and we always said, get in the job. Get to know a firefighter, a senior firefighter, and you listen to them. Try telling that to the younger firefighters now. They don't want to hear nothing. I mean, you got to get the stuff out of your ears first just to have a conversation. When we lost the pay phones in the firehouse, and I say this all the time in my lectures, we lost the culture and the community in the firehouse. When we lost the kitchen table, we lost a way to pass information back and forth to our younger firefighters. You know why? Because now if you tell them something, they're on YouTube checking you out. They're not ignoring you. They're verifying what you're telling them. But if we don't get them into our instructor cadre now, we're going to lose an entire generation of firefighters. Because all they're going to learn is to be alone. Is to form their own opinions. And when we stand in front of them, yeah, they'll pass our tests. Yeah, they'll go to the academy. But it will not translate onto the fire ground. They will question your orders. They will hesitate. And they're fighting fires that we never fought before. We fought Class A fires. We didn't wear our masks. I was a junior guy in 1985. I didn't have to fight for the mask. None of the senior members would wear it. I wore that 2.2 tank. You know why? Because nobody else wore it. Firefighters now are facing fires that are burning faster and hotter. Lightweight construction. Furnishings. They're breathing chemicals that can kill them. It's a completely different game for them. Instructors are the most important people in the fire service now. You know why? Because they're not getting the experience that we had. A lot of what we got was trial and error. We learned from the senior firefighters what not to do, because either you got a boot in your butt or you got burned. That's what happened. That's what we learned. But now as we start to certify instructors, and we develop methods of teaching other firefighters, just when we got it straight, just when we know exactly what we need to teach them, we've got a new crowd that never wanted to be here in the first place. They don't have the passion for learning, and the culture tells them, you know what, I don't have to listen to you. That's a fact. That's a fact. And it doesn't matter whether you're paid, 
It doesn't matter whether you volunteer. I always say professional career or professional volunteer. Because I've worked with departments that are volunteer who have sometimes been more professional than some paid departments because the passion and the pride is there. And I've also worked with paid departments where they really didn't care about the check. The check was nice, but they didn't care about the check. The passion and the pride was there. It was almost like firefighters have our own unique DNA. If you sliced all of us open, you'd see the same characteristics, the same traits. And it translates across the country. I've been fortunate to treat all over the world. South Africa, Mexico. And when you talk to those firefighters around that firehouse kitchen, it's the same conversations. The same conversations. And we talk about the generations that we have. Now, the worst thing you can do after with a firefighter, too, is feed them and ask them to listen to a speaker. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to count out 12 minutes. We're going to try and finish this if we can. Can we agree to do that? All right. I'm not here to teach you how to train a firefighter. I'm not. Each of your jurisdictions are different, but you know your people better than I know your people. Some of them, you may have seen them grow up. They may have been juniors in your department. You may have worked with their parents, their uncles, their aunts, their neighbors. You may have been their scoutmasters. You know these kids that are coming in. But you also have some senior firefighters who haven't left yet. And when they say you can't teach an old dog new tricks, sometimes you're right. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. But if you give a new dog new treats, that dog starts to change their behavior. So there has to be a way that we can identify that and model it. We can always learn something, all of us. I want to show you a quick clip. I'm a Seinfeld fan, sorry. If you're not, just bear with me, but uh, you'll get the message. Where do we get our information from, and how do we pass it on to people? Where does your reputation come from as an instructor? <coughs> do you have the credibility? And if not the credibility, do you have the experience? Because I'm concerned about the new instructors that are coming behind you and, my, and myself. I'm concerned that they are only going to be textbook instructors because they're not going to have the experience. And when they meet that situation that they have never met before, and we didn't prepare them for, what is their decision-making going to be? Uh, if you go to the National Fire Academy, uh, Gordon Graham has a, a, a wonderful uh, lecture and uh, clip on prime uh, decision, rec uh, prime recognition prime decision-making. Thank you very much. And it talks about where we pull our answers from when we hit a situation that we've never experienced before. So our concern and our charge, if we're going to be instructors, is to ensure that we temper our instruction with experience, but also the passion. Because I can tell you, I've sat in some lectures of some younger instructors, and I'm not knocking them, but the passion isn't there. I've seen it over and over again. It, when you see it over and over again, it's not an accident. When you see it in other places, states, other, other organizations and institutions, that's not by an accident. We've got to figure that out. We've got to figure that out before we're out of the picture. I want to give you a quick exercise. We talk about teaching people. I spend a lot of money on these handouts, all right? So uh, please be careful with them, all right? Send them back. A lot of work went into these. It's a pack of paper. We're going to try something real quick. Oh, don't worry, you don't need glasses for this. Don't worry, it's the 
many hands out you're going to get. So, other than me. Okay, you'll get this one. I'm sorry. Everyone got a piece of paper? Perfect. He can have two. See how strong he is. Everyone got it? Good. Now, we're all in a circle of trust now, okay? We're all in a circle of trust. You don't even have to turn around because I want you to close your eyes. Hold the piece of paper in front of you, close your eyes. Okay, if you can see me, I can see you. Close your eyes. I say circle of trust in the wrong crowd. I get more eyes closed with the, with the group of cops. Excellent. I've got some of you got your eyes closed. You think you can peer through the paper. That's interesting. All right, so here's what's going to happen. I just want you to listen to the instructions and follow them. When you're ready, fold the paper in half. Close your eyes. You don't need to see it. You don't have to see it. Fold the paper again. Second time. I don't need you to see it. I want you to fold the paper again for the last time. I don't need you to see it. And then if you can, it depends on how much strength you have, I want you to tear one corner out. Tear one corner out if you can. Use your teeth if you have to. But then it's that tough piece of steak. If you can't tear it, that's fine. Everyone can't do what everyone else does. Tear the corner out. Keep your eyes closed. I'm looking at you. Eyes closed. Eyes closed. Are we finished? Good. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to keep your eyes closed, open that piece of paper up, and hold it over your head. With your eyes closed, hold it over your head. Over your head, over your head. We can't call it. Oh, Ali, Ali, option three. All right, open eyes and look around. Open your eyes and look around. Snowflakes. Snowflakes? That's what you see? <laughs> Are they the same? No. Did you have the same amount of time? Did you all receive the same piece of paper? Did you all receive the same instructions? They weren't So why do we have different outcomes? You had the same amount of time, the same message, same piece of paper. Why aren't they the same? You didn't say which path, volume two or this. The message wasn't complete. Okay. All right. What else? It was, well, it wasn't. It wasn't. It, you said to fold the paper in half. You didn't say which way. Then the second time you said fold the paper. You didn't say how far to fold it in half again. Or like I did, I folded like a third. Okay, MacGyver. I get the point. <laughs> I screwed up. I, I got you. I screwed up. You know, no, no, it's on me. It, it's, it's always on the instructor when it comes out wrong, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Interesting. I'll teach it with you guys either. <laughs> Poor ladies. Here's the thing. We have instructors that walk into a classroom, and they start giving instructions. They just do. Nothing personal. Take your seats. Take your books out. Turn to page 25. We're going to begin. Or you assign them a reading assignment, and you expect them to come in fully prepared for you to move on to the next piece. We're not dealing with that type of audience anymore. We're not. 
And, and, and when you look at the State Academy, as you're starting to get people in, I don't even have to be there. I can tell you you're going to have a number of people that are coming to the State Academy that are having problems those initial days because they're not getting into the mode. It's nothing we're doing wrong. They're just not in that mode. We're expecting them to be one way, and they're expecting us to be another way. And that's every academy everywhere. Do we have exceptions? We have plenty of exceptions. But that mean average is that we have to reach them in a different way. So I'd like to zip through this real quick. It's a simple method. Prepare, present, apply, test, follow-up. It is the oldest model. First of all, it came from the military. Secondly, it was adapted by the National Fire Academy, and it works. <coughs> Prepare, present, apply, and test. Many of you took the old pick and serve classes, the National Fire Academy. That's what it's based on. Simple method. Prepare the student. But the first thing you do is prepare yourself. Make sure that you know the material. Make sure that you have the room set up. Make sure that everything that you need is there. I know instructors that, believe it or not, they get a gig to go and instruct. They get the manual. They download it maybe a week or two before. I've been teaching hazmat 20 years. I got it. And they get there, and there's a complete section on flammable liquids that they never covered before. And the students pre-read it. And you turn the page, and you know that that instructor doesn't have it. They know that you don't have it. We can't afford to be that instructor anymore. We can't rely on our experience and war stories anymore <laughs> because they're fighting different fires now. You have to prepare the materials and instructional aids like I did. So when I just grabbed a pack of paper out of the copy machine. Prepare the learning environment. Make sure that it's well lit, it's comfortable. These are things that we already know from educational methodology. But sometimes we make the assumption that they're getting it, and they're not getting it. And when it's the end of the week or the end of the class, and they're doing the evaluations or they're doing their tests and they failed, we're going, how did they fail? They were with me. No, they weren't with you. They were just trying to get out of there. We need to be able to prepare the learning environment and then prepare the student. Make sure you tell them how important it is. Make sure you tell them that you're happy that they're there. Because remember, a lot of them didn't pick this as a career. They really didn't. Explain the importance of the matter to be learned. You have to do it. And explain how it fits into the overall operation or emergency. They need to be told how things fit together. Because they don't have the experience. That's the key. You've got the experience. How many times have you listened to the radio or the scanner and you already know what type of job they've got just by them telling you what they have, what they're doing about it, what they see, what they smell. You already know it's a job. They don't have that. And we can't teach experience. You can't. We can teach the fundamentals. It's not unlike when you taught that young person how to drive. You prepared them. You let them practice. They took the book. They took the test. They have a license. But can they drive? Heck no. No, they need the experience on the road. And that's something we may not be able to give them as instructors because they may leave us after they've been taught by us, and now they're back in the stations. And we don't know who they're listening to at that point. You've got the grumpy old curmudgeon who doesn't want to talk. Hey, I worked in a firehouse where three firefighters didn't get along initially. And I didn't know that. So I'd be out at the pump, one guy would show me the pump, the other one would be sitting in the window with a cigarette watching the whole deal. And as soon as that one was done, Charlie would go in, hey, kid, now I'm going to show you how the pump works. Don't listen to that guy. You have that. And it still exists. You're chuckling because you know it's true. 
Explain the responsibility of the student. Tell them what you expect of them. That's the most important thing. And tell them that it's important for them to get it right. And then you're not going to leave them until they get it right. Yeah, they need to be motivated. Some people call it stroking. It's not stroking. They need to be reassured that they're getting it right. All right? Then you present whatever the idea is. Is it learning how to tie up O-line knot? Is it learning how to use the SCBA? Whatever it is, raising a 35-foot ladder, whatever it is, make sure that you present it to them and you tell them and you give them a brief synopsis and tell them what's going on with it. Then use the proper terminology. We got a box? <laughs> I got a long ride to get to that Believe me. That, that was actually your 12 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> On behalf of a grateful nation, I'd like to thank you. For those of you who have done so much, for so many, for so little, for so long, we salute you and say goodbye. So, quote the standard, use the terminology, present the student with the item and the task to be learned. Demonstrate it for the student. The worst thing you can do is stand in front of a classroom and go to show someone a piece of equipment and you don't know how to use it. Don't laugh. It happens a lot. It happens a lot. Well, I haven't done this in a long while. I'm a little rusty. Well, uh, instructor, if you're going to be rusty for the next five weeks, we're in trouble. All right? We'll get a little can out. Demonstrate for the student. Perform the task and repeat the instructions again. There's nothing wrong with repetition. I'll show you about that later. Ask open-ended questions. Don't say, you got it? Okay. Now, how would you take this ladder and put it to that window? Can you tell me? Ask open-ended questions. Get them thinking. Because the percentages of them learning and retaining, it's more so on them practicing it as opposed to just read, wrote, and us giving lectures. And I know I'm telling this to some people that already know that. I understand that. But again, to tell them, tell them the importance of it. Then it's the application. You have to demonstrate the skill for the student slowly. Do it again. And do it again until they understand it. Allow them to see every aspect. If it's dying a knot, allow them to see the knot come together. If it's raising a ladder, show them exactly how to climb that ladder. And if you can't, get someone who can. Allow them to see every aspect and use the proper terminology and steps. Demonstrate the skill at normal speed now. Let them see how it works. Then ask open-ended questions again. Now, if you had to raise this ladder with two people, can you? Do you need a third person? Now, if you had to take it down and move it to the other side, what are the steps? Ask them over and over and over again. That's how the mind works. Now have the student repeat the objectives, tell you the most important thing from the start. Then also have the student demonstrate the skill on their own. It's all right to coach, but not fully understood, go back to the next step, I mean, the previous step. We use prepare, present, apply, and test. And at any point we meet resistance or misunderstanding, we back up another step. This is how they learned. This is how we learned. They never told us these steps, but that's how we learned on the fire ground. That's how those senior firefighters taught us our craft. We perfected it. We got better at it. But those initial steps, we all learned the same. Go back to the presentation step if necessary. Now the follow-up, encourage the student. Explain that this one lesson, this is one lesson among many in our profession. Talk to them about the modular approach. You also tell them that these are building blocks. Once you learn how to tie the bowline, we'll, start, we'll show you how to tie the clove hitch. 
Once you know how to tie the, then we'll tie the chimney hitch, and so on and so on. You build on what they know or what you've taught them to move to the next level. That's what you need to do. Now, in the other organizations that I've worked with, they've called this the Mars concept. The Mars concept. This is how it works. Motivation, association, repetition, and the use of senses. How did you learn the alphabet? Did someone just have you write it out, or did they sing a song? And if they sang a song, when you went to school, how many times would they have you write that word? You'd write the word ten times, five times. You'd write the definition. You'd write it and use it in a sentence. In a sentence. That's how we build our vocabulary. That's how we learn multiplication. Motivation, association, repetition, and the use of senses works on the fire ground as well. Identify your audience. Don't just show up that day to teach the class. Learn something about the organization that you may be working with and the audience that you're going to have. You may have to change the videos. Seinfeld's easy for us. Just about everybody's in here watching it. You know what? If I put Beavis and Butthead in there, maybe a few people will watch that too. But if I put it Rick and Morty in there, who? Yeah. But if I had a class of 27 and under, they'd get it. So this is what we want to do. Determine their motivational focal point. What, may, what, what do they focus on? What are the things that they like? That may come from a pre-course uh, uh, evaluation or survey. That may help. Remind them the great profession that they belong to. Because that's been forgotten. I can assure you. It's not as bad as I'm making it out to be, but it's getting there. It's enough of it to concern me that there are people in our firehouses that don't like people. How can you be in this business and not like people? You work and sleep with the people that you're going to be with, and then you have to go out and serve a public. And you don't like people? But it's out there. The sense of camaraderie and selflessness that is the hallmark of our profession. It's evaporating. Now, this isn't a doom and gloom speech, because it's not over. We're still getting some people into our profession that have this. Remember I talked about slicing them open and getting the DNA? We've got some people coming through the door that have this. We need to cultivate that. We need to identify that. We need to encourage them, and encourage them to be instructors. We need to know who our replacements are tomorrow and help them grow into great instructors and great firefighters and officers. That's our charge. That's our job. That's what we need to do. We need to motivate them. We can also use association, relate the lesson or activity to their assignment, whether they're on the engine, the truck, or whether they're on the rescue unit. Ask open-ended questions that will aid you in linking objectives. Link one lesson to another. It works. Do your homework and identify the traits and characteristics of your audience. Most important. Use case studies or current events that relate to the subject matter. Then, repetition. Find ways to repeat key terms. State key objectives and goals in a number of different ways that you can. Go through that book. Look at the examples in the book and then create your own. Create your own that relate to them just from your conversations in them, the book will take on a new life with them. And you'll be able to establish rapport with them. Break the lesson down into its steps and modules. Continue to drive home the point through the cognitive and psychomotor. Yeah, there's a technical side to what we do. 
We need them to understand what we're talking about, the concepts and objectives, but then they have to physically do it. Because in addition to kind of liking people, you kind of want to know how to do this job. Because when you screw up in our job, it's bad. I've been there. I've seen a friend fall off a three-story roof. It, when it goes bad, it's bad. And they need to understand the importance of understanding what they're doing and how to do it correctly. Have students perform teachbacks of important lesson sections. Get them in the game. Believe it or not, sometimes they'll listen to each other quicker than they'll listen to you. Or I. Been there too. And the last thing is the use of senses. What we found through the learning uh, pyramid is that when we lecture, like I'm doing now, you're only going to remember 5% of this in two weeks. It's going to be gone, if I'm lucky. If I gave you a handout, you're only going to read 10%. You're going to remember 10%. The audiovisual, 20%, and the demonstration, 30 Those are passive teaching methods, passive techniques. But when we enter into discussions, we practice by doing, and we allow them to teach each other in the classroom, 90% retention. 90%. Think about that. The next lesson that you deliver, just by getting the students up off their butts and teaching a section of that, 90% retention. It happens. It works. So in conclusion, there's a sacred trust in the fire service when lessons are given. We have a moral and sacred obligation when we're passing information to the new generation of firefighters and even the older generation of firefighters to establish trust, to make sure that we prepare ourselves that when we deliver lessons to them, they can go out and fact-check us for the next hundred years. Because since the last horse took a, a, a breath on the apparatus floor, <laughs> whew, that was close. <laughs> I started sweating with that one. The job, <laughs> the job has not changed. You got it. The job has not changed. We will never know the effect or impression we may have on persons in the future. Let no firefighter's ghost return and say, my training failed me. I'll share one more piece. I had a video. My kid went to school in, um, in um, uh, Liberty University down in Lynchburg. He decides the last year in school he wants to become a firefighter. It saved me a lot of money, but you want to be a firefighter. <laughs> no problem. Education's good, so I keep saying every month, write that check. The bottom line is I couldn't train him. Because I knew what it took to be a firefighter in New Jersey. I was running the training school at the time. And so I went to my wife and I said, I'm going to pull him out of school this last semester. What? I'm pulling him out of school the last semester. If he wants to be a firefighter, he needs to train. He can't just come up from Virginia and step in and take this test. It's highly competitive there. That's 1,500 people that take it in Union County. He has to come home. Brought him home for six months. Believe me, she wasn't happy. He brought him home for six months. He scored well on the written. Good. Now he has to take the physical. He has to go back to school. He's got exams. He can't come up. Before he left, I took him through the course, and I videotaped him. And I coached him going through the test, step by step. And then I let him run the course. I put the video on YouTube so he could watch it and study so he had his notes, he had his practice. What did we do for him to be able to practice the psychomotor? He didn't have the weights. His dorm was on the fifth floor. Five flights of stairs, up and down. When he went to school, he ran the steps down. When he came back from class, he ran the steps up. Five times, each time. 
When he got there and he took the test the day before, videotaped him, put it on YouTube. So dad was vindicated. Right, mom? Came <laughs> out number two. But here's the lasting impression. I did that for my son. That video still gets 18,000 hits in New Jersey. My kid's been on the job for five years. There are people walking up to him that never met him and said, I watched your video. I took the test, and I'm a firefighter. What you say or do with the passion that you have transcends time, space, and geography. What we say to firefighters is important. We got a lot of important stuff to say. But if we say it in the wrong way, it's lost. The person that says that they know everything, thank them very much for their time and walk away. I've been in the business 32 years, wanted to be it since I was four years old. I learn every day. Thank you for your time. Take care.